Welcome, this is Anthony Haynes, I'm Creative Director of Frontinus Limited. Welcome to the Greylit Cafe podcast brought to you by Frontinus Limited. Frontinus is a communications consultancy focused on engineering, infrastructure, sustainability and research. In this edition, we focus on a highly innovative grey literature enterprise. Uh, with me, I'm delighted to have Cora Cole, who is the founder and CEO of Greylit. Welcome, Cora. Thank you. Thank you for having me on this beautiful afternoon. <laughs> it's a beautiful afternoon over here in the eastern, eastern England as well. Um, it's, so Cora Cole and Grey Literature, I'm interested how you came together. What, how did you first become involved in, with Grey Literature? Well, you know, I think like most researchers, I've probably been involved in Grey Literature my whole career only perhaps mm -hmm. I didn't think of it or refer to it as that. Um, yeah. You know, in essence, gray literature is anything that's published outside of academia, um, which includes papers that were prepared for publication that never made it. Mm -hmm. So I think, yes. you know, including theses, right? I'm sure uh, my thesis would be considered gray literature because I'm positive nobody's read it from cover to cover. So, <laughs> <laughs> except maybe my grandmother. Um, <laughs> So I think my whole career, you know, I've I've been involved in unpublished, um, unpublished outside of academia yeah. research and information. Mm. But really, I would say my awareness of gray literature started with my first position as an epidemiologist mm -hmm. um, when I was working for a health authority, where pretty much everything I wrote, produced, researched. Um, you know, in that role, I was doing a lot of decision support. Yeah. Uh, where would we be, we'd be commissioned to find an answer that a politician was seeking mm -hmm. or a decision that had to be made. And all of that research leading up to that, we now would call gray literature. And, you know, if you think about what governments produce, what not-for-profits produce, research institutes, yeah. you know, that tremendous amount of volume. Yes of content is really gray literature yes in essence so i'd say i'm probably more involved in gray literature than i am in the published research world right at this point yeah. in my career yes it's interesting isn't it that i still encounter uh, a large number of researchers who don't just don't know the term gray literature and then when you press mm -hmm. them they've all read gray literature and quite a lot of them have actually produced gray literature without knowing it um, so now you've founded uh, an enterprise called Grey Lit. So, so what is mm -hmm. Grey Lit? So um, I think what I'll do is I'll give you my uh, formal 30-second yep. elevator pitch. Yes, you're welcome that to. Will make, <laughs> that'll make my advisors and my board happy. <laughs> 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 that I'll tell you what Grey Lit, the company, is to me and our employees. So, okay, yes, good. Good. So Greylit is a knowledge mobilization platform that facilitates the access of frontline research and information by allowing our members to search, share, review, and collaborate on frontline information. To us, it is a connection. It allows wow. our members to turn research into action. We kind of think of the company as a verb. You know, oh, we're okay. turning, right. yeah, we're, we're the highway, we're turning something into action, we're, we're mobilizing. Right. My why, my personal why mm. as a founder is that 
I believe information at the right time in the right person's hands can change lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in, the, in this era of Google and instant access to information, it's almost criminal in some cases to me that it takes 24 months mm. to share a piece of life-saving research. Like I think we should be held accountable for our inability to share information. You know, we, if you think yeah. about the protocols in place with drug trials, yes. right? There are yes. indications to stop the drug trial and roll it out. And yet the gold standard for sharing information is still the academic peer review process. Yes. I'm hoping one lesson that comes out of COVID is we need an alternative way to share information that is, um, you know, dynamic, that isn't static, that isn't a line in the sand, that is meant to be implemented or action. So for us as employees of a company, we believe that all research matters, even the you know, those that research that failed to prove the null or that stuff that wasn't deemed worthy. We believe that insights and understanding and, and wisdom and corporate memory is as important as new knowledge. Yes. Um, yes. We, we think that knowledge is power and that the access to information, I mean, we, we hear in the news all the time that, you know, access to the internet is a human right mm. now. And what that is saying essentially is that information is a human right. And so why are we keeping some of that information behind paywalls? We believe that publishing doesn't have to be painful. Anymore. <laughs> I, I'm laughing because I, I worked for many years. That was my main job, publishing. So <laughs> I'm aware of a lot right. of ironies in that, that area, yes. <laughs> right. And so many people have, you know, scars mm. from trying to publish. And the, you know, interconnectedness between publish and perishing or publishing and remuneration. So we believe that it doesn't have to be painful. And really at the heart of our company is to have a positive impact Mm. on the immediate access. You know, how can we remove some of these barriers that are in place for good circumstance? but that there are now circumstances that we have to move quicker and faster. So there are those of us, you know, who believe that the peer review publishing process is formidable. It's, it's institutional. There are reasons for it. And there are also reasons that we need to move outside of it. Mm. And simply we need to make frontline information more accessible because I know there's work that I did in my health authority Mm. that my peer was working on in the next province or even in, you know, England, Australia, that because the problems are the same. And so how do we circumvent that? So that's really, you know, my why. Brilliant. I I mean, of course, I, I, I really should have, I have a vested interest in disagreeing with you because I get employed by people to help them negotiate (laughs) all the, all the problems like, you know, how to, tailor their work for the right journal how to write it better how to respond to peer review and so on so 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 actually you could put me out of work but but (laughs) i do agree with you and i i think you've put the case as forcefully as i've ever heard it put and it strikes me a lot of people when you make the case for access a lot of people reduce that argument to one about open access and it seems to me well open access is a part of the solution but you've, you've identified issues there to do with the the duration of the process and the difficulty of understanding process, it's much more than just instituting open access, it seems to me. It is. And and by no means do I think Greylit, the company, or what we're trying to do is a 
competitor mm. to the traditional publishing process mm. and the academic peer review. I think it's a compliment. I think, you know, the same thing if you look at medicine and the difference right. between complementary and allopathic medicine. Mm -hmm. Complementary medicine is by no means challenging or dismissing allopathic medicine. Um, when you need surgery, you need surgery. Mm. But that doesn't mean it precludes you from taking a vitamin C lozenge when you need it. Um, and I just think that we need to have a way to talk to our peers. Yes, yes. And if you think about how often, you know, in the front lines that we would seek out our peers, whether it's from the fellow committee members that we're working on, whether it's from the marketing and communications, the ethics, the legal teams that we work with, those are all our peers. And they're all reviewing our frontline work. So the big soapbox, and I apologize if this is a tangent, but the, the notion that gray literature is somehow not peer-reviewed yes. is a fallacy to me. In yes. fact, I would challenge that the gray literature that I produce as a civil servant is more peer-reviewed yes. or reviewed more often by my peers simply because of the process that goes into stamping something as being from the NHS, for example. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, I think it's complementary, and I think they're both important in the outcomes that they serve. Yes. I think the issue of peer review is a theme that's run through several of our episodes. In fact, we in the first episode, I put in the show notes some links to articles by Amanda Lawrence in Australia, who, who'd attempt mm -hmm. to she'd attempted to quantify how much peer review is going on. And in Sarah Bonato's book, um, we interviewed Sarah Bonato recently. One of the reasons she gives researchers for, for why they should attend to grey literature is that so much of it is peer reviewed. So uh, mm -hmm. that's a very strong argument. Now, my, my next question, I think to some extent, you've kind of hinted at the answer, but let me ask you it explicitly. Who are your stakeholders? Who are grey lit's stakeholders? And that's probably a tough question depending on the facet of Greylet that we're talking about. For, on one hand, stakeholders could be the funders of research, for example, mm -hmm. yeah. who want to use our platform to measure the impact of their highly valuable research dollars. Where is it going? What's coming? Yes. What action is happening as a result of it? It could all stakeholders could also be that lone researcher with an or, within an organization or a government department or a, a political party who want to join a, a community of practice, mm -hmm. who wants right. to get feedback before they, you know, write their discussion or their briefing note. Yeah. It could be not-for-profits who have to prove their worth, who have to prove they're collaborating, have to prove they're mobilizing, um, who have to, based on budget and infrastructure, work more efficiently by not reinventing a policy, by you know, stealing a form from another organization and, and just reusing it within their program. We yeah. also have enterprise level stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Those are organizations like hospital networks, health authorities that desperately want to get off, uh, get their information off of share drives and hard drives. Uh, yes. And how do you, how do you have one repository that people from multiple sites can access? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so a number of stakeholders, I think. Yeah. I, th I think the account you've just given there, it, it, it brings home how diverse the landscape is. Uh, and 
we've got this problem that the phrase grey literature is frankly a pretty boring phrase. It doesn't set the pulse <laughs> racing. But And therefore people often assume that the phenomenon itself is boring. Whereas when you think of all the different kinds of interactions, and I, by the way, I love the idea that your business is, is, is built on forming a connection, all the different kinds of conversations that that entails i mean it, it, that's anything but dull that's a that's the the liveliness and diversity is is evident from the start when you when you think of it in that way let me ask you i wasn't sure how to ask you this question so i thought of two ways of asking it so perhaps i could ask it in both ways and then ask you to take whichever <laughs> one you want i mean one way i wanted to ask the question is what are the problems that gray list is seeking to solve um or another way of answering that question, it seems to me sort of the other side of the coin really is what what benefits are you seeking to provide to people? So I think the problem that we're solving is that there is, you know, a, a volume of underutilized research and information mm -hmm. that's sitting out there that is undermarketed unknown, you know, is subject to infinite number of biases through a Google search, through publishing processes, but it is full of nuggets and wisdom and insights and protocols and guidelines that if they were communicated and mobilized, yeah. if their impact could be quantified, yeah. um, it would change the way programs are delivered. It would change outcomes for individuals. And I have all kinds of examples of how that would happen and could happen in in our own customer base. Right. So I, I think in essence, it is, you know, shining the light on that underutilized body of knowledge yeah. and wisdom. Yeah. Um, and I think the benefit that we provide is that community of practice. It's an information community that is not anonymous. It is not confidential. Our platform is based on a profile. And within that platform, we use the profile to match readers and research. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have a recommendation, right? Yeah. So we're, we're building those bridges. We're creating that community of information. Uh, we have a recommendation engine that brings that underutilized, unknown research to your front door. Um, and for every article that's uploaded, we're tracking the analytics. Yeah. So yeah. even within the platform, you're able to um, screen and find the heavy used, um, most popular, most relevant content to you based on your yeah. interests, your desires, and your intrinsic behavior. So that's, I think, the, the benefit and the solution to that underutilized problem. Yeah, no, that that, that that's uh, that's brilliant. It's, uh, sound, as you were talking, <laughs> the phrase um, this is going to sound very cheesy. It's, it strikes me it's like you're a, like a dating agency for data. <laughs> and um, absolutely, <laughs> you, you you used the phrase in an answer to one of my earlier questions. But you used the phrase new knowledge, and you've touched on it again. And it strikes me. I mean, one of the fields I work in is sustainability science, and it strikes me as a sort of sustainability ethic here which is well we all want to create new knowledge in the sense of knowledge that's new to the world as a whole but also there's a lot of knowledge out there is that, that would be new to people existing knowledge that would be new knowledge to people 
because they've never heard of it before. And, right. and so we should be devoting resources to cycling or recycling that stuff as well as pushing the boundaries. Oh, well, absolutely. And, you know, the, I would add to that that there are, you know, legions of people who are just too busy yeah. to create new knowledge, right? They have a room yeah. full of patients. They have programs to roll yeah. out. So please, for the love of Pete, just give me what I need <laughs> when I need it. Let me implement it. Let me adopt it and use it and move on. Yes. And so that that is our niche, are those yes. people who are on the front lines, who need a piece of knowledge or information or a guideline yeah. or protocol, and let's just roll it. Yeah. Um, yeah. My hope is that someday the people who are generating that new knowledge, who are coming up with the theories and the ideas, peek into the Greylit portal mm. to see how that work is actually rolled out. Yes. To see how their theory is being adapted. Um, and how do we have that communication? How do we have that conversation and close that that creativity loop? You know, yeah. there's a, someone who creates the theory and somebody who turns it into practice. Yeah. And how do we go back and take that that new practice and test it out as a theory? Yeah, and it, it, it seems to me this is very timely in the sense there are a number of initiatives in the field of policy, both to do with um, funding research and evaluating researchers, kind of pushing researchers in that direction, actually. Um, so what about the future? I'm, I mean, you've You've already given us a really kind of lively account. And by the way, I, I should have said at the time, <laughs> the idea of saying we're a verb, I think that's fantastic. And, and I know I know you're an extremely active, energetic person, so it absolutely fits. But um, so, 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 so there's a lot going on already. Um, what about the future? You know, where, where do you see Grey Lit going? If I think about where we started first, if I just share how I started, mm. mm-hmm. Um you know, Plato said, uh, "Mother or necessity is the mother of all invention." And so, I waited a number of years for someone to create a way to search frontline research. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I was, you know, wanting to collaborate with my peers. I was wanting to contribute to this, you know, frontline body of information. So coming up with this idea and mapping out what these, the the features and the benefits would be, um, you know, having never written a line of code. (laughs) Right. uh, I thought, oh, sure, Uh. I can start a tech company that that (laughs) incorporates machine learning, um, you know, that provides an alternate to peer review and brings in all these analytics. Sure, I could do that. I'm an epidemiologist. Right? <laughs> um, but really, the big, hairy, audacious goal from that, you know, as much as I'm joking, you know, that necessity and that very humble beginning of mm. wanting something and not being able to find yeah, it yeah. is really to create a repository. And again, this is, you know, my bias in, in public health and, and population yeah. health space where information related to the social determinants of health, um, if we look at the social development goals, like mm-hmm. that is really where theory has to become practiced quickly and, you know, has to run through that cycle of implementation and adoption very quickly. Indeed. Particularly, you know, I mean, I've already talked about COVID, but if you think about the work that 
you know, um, developing organizations and aid organizations are doing. I mean, that is really where the rubber hits the road. So the big goal is to be this repository that brings social determinant information under one umbrella. Yeah. That is sort of open access in that, you know, the idealistic view of open access in that the people who publish are coming from a place of abundance and sharing versus a place of proprietary and ownership. So moving into that, Mm. you know, social purpose Mm. space of publishing and and Mm. having those two worlds collide. Oh, that's fantastic. And I I just, I I think the the ambition behind that vision is just really appealing it's just got a very obvious need for it um i'd, I'd love to talk to you for a very long time on this <laughs> but we we ought to move towards closing this particular episode but let me let me just ask you briefly if i'm sure many listeners will want to find out more about gray lit so so where do they go to find out more about this they can start with our website mm-hmm. which is graylit.net and it's G-R-E-Y. Yeah. L-I-T. Yeah. And congratulations on finding a, a an easily memorable URL, which is increasingly difficult <laughs> these days. Uh, Cora, that, that's been absolutely fascinating. And there are so many kind of angles to what you're doing, which d- deserve real um, exploration and development. So I'm really grateful to you for for giving people a, an insight into what's going on in Greylit. It's that's been fantastic. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me and I'll come back anytime. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I will take you off on that. Thank you. Sure. Thank you everyone for listening. Greylit Cafe is edited by Dr. Bart Hallmark and produced by Frontinus Limited. Frontinus specialises in grey literature forms such as proposals, publications, papers and reports. The music is from Handel's Water Music, courtesy of the United States Marine Band and Marine Chamber Orchestra. (laughs) ¶¶